When I was two weeks old, John F. Kennedy was inaugurated as President of the United States. Now, of course, I don't remember it, but when my family, uh, when this, my family experienced this, it was a huge deal. I mean, we were, we were an Irish Catholic family, and an Irish Catholic man just became President of the United States. And in his inaugural speech, uh, he made many calls to uh, what he call, was calling Americans to do, but everyone remembers almost the very last line of the speech. And he outlined all of this uh, that he intended to, to see happen during his presidency and even beyond that. And then he concluded with these words, listen to them carefully. And so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So guys, regardless of your politics, regardless of even if you can pick apart that quote a little bit, you got to admit, it's a, an, an inspiring quotation. It is also, in the ears of most people in 2023, a pretty radical idea, actually. Uh, in other words, he's saying, you know, don't, don't call for the, the country to come and do all sorts of things for you. Rather, ask what you can do for your country. I mean, do you hear how radical that sounds? Because we, we, we've shifted and moved and so forth, so people often expect people to do for them. There's, you know, for a lot of people, there's kind of an entitlement mentality. And he flips that around by saying, you know, ask what you can do. You might disagree on the specifics of the pathway. Who cares what party you belong to, if any? But it's a general and inspiring call for everyone to contribute to the public good to do something that makes this a better place to be, to do something so that we can all say together, I love it here. I love to be here. An even greater and more powerful sentiment. You can make a difference. You can do something that will cause everyone to say, I love it here. I remember when I was a freshman in college, coming home for the first time, it was probably Labor Day weekend, been in college for you know, three weeks, and so at that point I'm a complete know-it-all, I know everything, and I'm coming home and I'm spotting things that now that I've been living on my own that maybe I don't like or whatever, and so I had the audacity to suggest to my mom, you know, maybe you should do this differently, or could you do this for me? And I'd like it this way. And I never will forget my mom's response to that. Uh, she said, Quentin, um, either you're a guest in my home and it would be impolite for you to say that, or you're a member of our family and then you just take care of it yourself, <laughs> okay? And it was brilliant. I mean, it set me down, but she said, in a, in a sense, ask not what your mother can do for you. Ask what you can do for your mother. Or ask not what your family can do for you, ask what you can do for your family. And so borrowing from JFK all these other areas of life, ask not what your friend can do for you, but what you can do for your friend. Ask not what your workplace can do for you, but what you can do for your workplace. Ask not what you can do for your, or what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. 
How can you make these things, all these areas and places in your life, whether it's a friendship, a relationship, a marriage, a family, the church, even the community, how can you make this a better place to get to the spot where you and everyone else around you says, I love it here. I love being in this place. I love being in this family. I love being in this marriage. I love being in this church. I love it here. We all want great friendships. We all want stronger families. We all want better marriages. We all want to be in a life-giving church. How do we get there so that you and everyone can say, I love it here. Today I want to give you four, uh, what I believe are profound turning points that will make all the difference in each of these areas of your life, and especially in the life of the church. Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the uh, believers 2,000 years ago in a little city called Colossae. And it was really about church life. It's like their relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in the family of Jesus. And he wrote these words so that they would experience the fullness of, of what a church is meant to be, what the body of Christ is meant to be. The fullness of it all. So they would end up saying, I love it here. I love it here. How are you going to get there so that you can say, I love it here? And I'll give you a little hint. How? It's going to have something to do with Christ above all. That's our whole series, Christ above all. And what it's going to mean, how do I get to, I love it here in all these areas and relationships, it's going to be by making room for Christ in all those relationships every single day. Make room for Christ. That is, has been, last several months, and is going to be the focus theme of our church family, make room for Christ, make room. But how does that idea, that kind of a noble sounding, spiritual sounding concept, how does it really work itself out in everyday life? I'm so glad you asked. We're going to look at this, uh, three little verses in Colossians chapter three, Paul writes, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's the pathway, these three verses. That's the roadmap. That's how we get to, I love it here. I love it in my relationship. I love it in this family. I love it in my marriage. I love it in our church. I love it here. And there are four important choices or turning points that we must make, you can make, in all these different areas and situations of life. The first one we come to for making room for Christ is in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, you're all called together, this peace of Christ, which is, he says, let that peace of Christ rule your hearts. It's kind of a, an interesting juxtaposition. Peace, this harmony, comes through the rule of Christ, right? And he says, and be thankful. So here's the first principle. We all got to do this. 
And if it's going to work out in our marriages, families, relationships, church, community, first is we've got to surrender joyfully together, all of us together, to the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. Now I need to say this. If the peace of Christ is to rule in hearts, the peace of Christ has to be there in your heart in the first place. And of course, the peace of Christ comes, it's not so much an emotional feeling as it is a, a reality that you experience, that there's no longer a brokenness between you and God, but there's a unity, there's a harmony now between you and Jesus and God. And the way that comes about, of course, at the beginning, is to come to faith in Jesus, to believe the gospel, to believe that he lived for you, he died for you, he was raised from the dead for you, and he ascended to heaven and he's coming back again for you. So do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust him? Are you trying to earn your way to this harmony? You'll never get there, but you can trust in Jesus and give your life to him and completely rely on what he's done for you and you will experience this reuniting between you and God. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll have the Holy Spirit living within you and you will have the peace of Christ. Regardless of your feelings, the reality will now be that you and God are friends. You're restored to a relationship with God. So that's where you start. But it's also a daily thing that we as believers experience uh, and can experience more than a feeling. It's a relationship word. It's a group word. The peace of Christ isn't so much what you uh, feel inwardly or that you have a, uh, an experience of an emotion. Rather, it's uh, what, not what they're feeling individually on the inside, but what the believers there and now uh, are experiencing relationally as a group or as a family, as a married couple, in relationship with a friend, and as a church. What are we experiencing together in these groups? Peace. Peace is not just the absence of warfare. It is the presence of harmony. It is true camaraderie. There's a team spirit. It's a family togetherness. How do you get there? How do you say, I love it here? He says, you got to let peace rule in your hearts. In every situation, in your relationships, you have to make a choice. And the choice is, who is going to rule? in this situation. And our tendency is we want it our way. And you have to give way to let somebody else rule. That's hard for us. I, ta I, told, I talked about last week the cat and dog theology. You know, you, the dog you, you house, you feed, you love, you take care of. The dog says you must be God. The cat you house, you feed, you love, support, and the cat says, I must be God. Well, the cat thinks he's God. We think we're ruling. Check out this video somebody sent me this week. Yeah, I'm gonna rule, I'm a boss. You're gonna have to deal with me. No, who's gonna rule? What's gonna rule? Is peace gonna rule? Or is arguing and friction and the way I want it going to rule? Is gossip and strife 
going to ruin everything and going to rule? Or is the peace of Christ going to rule? Who are we going to allow to reign in this situation? Is it going to be my selfishness or the peace of Christ? I want to suggest to you that all of us need to take kind of a, a white flag and just wave the flag of surrender to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, you reign. You rule in this situation. You, we ask him, please make your peace to rule in this situation. I don't want to be in charge. That takes a lot of humility to say in this situation where conflict arises, we say, what would Jesus do? Jesus, you reign and rule in this situation. You know, years ago, in the very early days of Valley Church, I remember we were at a gathering, and a man began to become very argumentative and, and really nasty and, and talking very abra abrasively to members of the church family. I'm not saying he just disagreed. That's okay. People are allowed to disagree. But he was so mean-spirited and harsh in the way he did it. And I knew that if I let it stand, it would set a tone for years and years to come. Now, I was a, you know, 30-something guy, 32 years old probably. And this guy was in his 60s. And I was scared of this happening, uh, of what, what I would say and how I would confront this. But I remember going to him and saying, you know, uh, privately, you know, I'm not sure how you talk to members of your own family at your own home. You know, I guess that's between you and God. But I need you to know that you can never talk that way to the members of this family. Not in this house. We let the peace of Christ rule in this house. And so you're going to have all sorts of situations in life where you're going to have a choice. Are you going to say, I'm in charge, I reign, I rule, and I get you are going to have ideas about these things, but, but you see it as this battle between these two people or these two groups. It's not. It's ultimately about, will I surrender to Jesus Christ? And if as a family, as a married couple, as a friends, and as a church, if we can say, Jesus is going to reign in this situation, we are not going to let our call ourselves to reign and rule. We're not going to have Satan get his way. No, we are going to surrender to the peace of Christ. And we say, Jesus, we just want to do what you, you want to do. And I'm telling you, if two people can do that, if two groups can do that, if everybody can come together and say, Jesus, your way is best, and we wave the flag of surrender to Jesus and say, you reign and rule. It's going to be amazing. Now, there's a different way to resolve conflicts. And you got to know there's just some, way, some ways you, you don't want to go. And I came across this great Tim Hawkins video. Um, and he said, uh, it's entitled, Things You Don't Say to Your Wife. Kind of a lighthearted look at it. Check it out. <laughs> I did the choreography myself. Hey honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cause I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife.
I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who done that, a long and happy life. There's all the pleasures to you. Solo. Okay. Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. If <laughs> you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, that too. These are the things you don't say to me. If you're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife, these are the things you don't say to me. Ah, there's no one quite like Tim Hawkins, is there? These are things you don't say to your wife, right? And there's just things you don't say. And there's just things you, you don't go there. Instead, you say Jesus Christ rule. And I'm telling you, you go into those situations, it's going to transform everything. Having these kind of transforming relationships we, means we take the high road. We allow the peace of Christ to reign supreme. And what we have in common is so much more important than all of our differences. The relationship is more important than the, the issue. That's what church is. This is church. It's our calling. It's who we are now. He says you're called to one body. You're not separate, all sorts of people. This is one body. Valley Church is one body. It's not two or three or four. It's one. It's who we are now. And then he adds, and be thankful. And that's not just a tack-on statement. It's important because thanksgiving is tied to peace. It's the person who can never find anything to be thankful for in a situation, but can always find something to criticize that is never going to have peace. It's the person who's going around picking fights, stirring up trouble, and causing friction. They're not, never going to experience peace. Um, you know, I, I have to tell you something. I love it here at Valley Church, and, um, and, uh, and I love you guys. You're amazing. I was walking around the building um, this week, and, um, and I just had a couple of fun moments, and I just, I snapped pictures, and as a pastor, you're always looking for things that kind of communicate what you're trying to say. And, you know, maybe this is a helpful tip to you. If you're, if you're like absolutely freaking out about something or whatever, I was walking through the Valley Church office, and I just noticed behind the, our wonderful, amazing uh, uh, office manager, Jackie, um, this switch on the wall. Check it out. So she had this pile of, you know, the rooted series and everything. And then I noticed this switch, circle it there. There you go. And I, I, I took a closer look at it, and, and this is the switch. And it's an on-off switching with a red light next to it. And I say, Jackie, what does that do? Is that some kind of, she goes, it's for emergencies. And she hit the switch. And I thought, oh no, it's, you know, it's called the police or something. And, and, and then she laughed. And she says, actually, it does absolutely nothing. I actually don't know why it's there. It's just, it does nothing. It doesn't, it, it's just there. And it no longer is operational, but we still have a switch on the wall. And I thought, and she says, but I still hit it some, 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 every once in a while. And I thought, maybe you just need to install a switch someplace in your house where you're just freaking out about something or here at church and you just, you just feel like, you, know, you just hit the switch. Let the peace of Christ rule. You just push the button, the emergency button. Let the peace of Christ rule.
I was walking around, went straight over to the men's restroom, and I noticed that in the men's restroom, this, this soap dispenser had come unglued from the mirror. And I thought, this is a message. And I went back and I said to Jackie, I said, Jackie, can you send a, uh, a text or something to uh, some of our amazing facilities people and just tell them that the soap dispenser in the men's restroom is becoming unglued? And she said, yeah, we don't want anybody coming unglued about this coming unglued. And I said, brilliant. The body of Christ cannot come unglued. You're a part of the body of Christ. We're called to one body. Don't come unglued. You know, if we, if we start teaching here that Jesus isn't God, or the Bible isn't the Word of God, or some major doctrine of the faith, okay. There's so many things that are secondary. We major on the majors, and we don't come unglued. Instead, we let the peace of Christ rule. So maybe you just need to remember, coming, don't come unglued this week, all right? Um, don't let the imperfect, unglued soap dispenser cause you to become unglued. Instead, wave the flag of surrender to Jesus and to the peace of Christ. Let's keep moving. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual song, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So if you want to love it here, then we all come together. We must make room for Jesus every single day, make room for Christ by, secondly, learning wisdom together from the Word of Christ. So the symbol here, the first one was the flag of surrender. The symbol here that we remember is the, is the open Bible. It's just like the Bible is open here. We're an open to the Word of God. Our hearts are open as we approach the, Jesus about all matters. We turn to the Scriptures for our guidance. And we come with open hearts, he says. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly among you. In other words, uh, one the message translation says, let the Word of Christ, the message about Jesus, have the full run of the house. There's no room he's not allowed to go into in your personal life, in my personal life, in all areas of our church. Jesus reigns and rules. His word is supreme. And we let it dwell richly. It's like, come and have it us, Lord Jesus. And let your word, your gospel, the Bible, the scripture, just soak deeply into everything we do. If you are disconnected from the gathering of the people of God in person. It's great to be online. I'm great this is an option for you. But I want to say, you know, if, if, if you're just staying there uh, and there's no real reason to, other than, you know, maybe a health or a crisis or you're out of town or you just can't make it, but if it's merely con for convenience, I get it. No, no legalism here. But can I invite you? There's something that happens when we open up the Word of God together. There's something happens in that space that when every, the whole body of Christ is together in, in a room, you're not just by yourself, you're with other believers. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly among 
you. That's a plural. It's one of the best opportunities for relationship, for friendship, for community, and for growing together in the deep truths of the Word of God. Come together for that. Learn wisdom together from the Word of Christ. Um, and it can be a lot of fun, too. Uh, you know, uh, years ago, I was on a pastor's retreat. It was a unique pastor's retreat, retreat because there was no, um, there was no speakers. There were 70 pastors. I hadn't met any of them ever before in my life. There were absolutely uh, no uh, speakers. It was just getting 70 pastors together. And literally almost what they did is they just put you in a room and then they gave you a few kind of questions and then you would kind of break up into groups and then just talk about this. And then they just went silent and just, hey, how is God speaking to you? Let the word of Christ and quote, share with us scripture, share something God's put on your heart. You got a prayer, you got a, you got a, a, a scripture, you got a, a song, whatever it might be. And it was very unusual. And I, I think some of the pastors were having a little bit of withdrawal symptoms from having sermons. And they were like, uh, you know, but we, 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 we were there together like a life group almost. And it was just an amazing experience. But one particular thing, they gave us some scripture and go walk around and, and just around the beautiful campus where I was uh, there um, in, a, in a wooded setting. And I remember walking around and I ran into this one pastor. I believe uh, he was Presbyterian man, great guy. And, but he was kind of, um, he was kind of more formal and we didn't know each other. And so he, he looked at me and said, so pastor, um, what are you doing lately in your devotional times to kind of spice up your Christian life? And I said, you know, uh, every once in a while, um, when Ruth and I, my wife and I feel really thankful, we'll just go out in the backyard and sacrifice a couple of chickens. And he looked at me and he says, wow, ah, an Old Testament man. And we kind of laughed about it. But you know, it was funny because pastors had that sort of language and camaraderie, kind of broke the ice. We had a good laugh. And then we, we just went to the next thing. And the next thing was deeper than a joke about sacrificing chickens. And um, I don't know, there's something that happens together when you have this kind of common language of the word of Christ. When, when, the, when the deep truths of the scripture, I'm not talking about just going around quoting Bible verses to each other. I'm just talking about there's a, there's a, there's a vocabulary, there's, a, there's, a, there's a topics, there's, there's things that we know about because we've been in the word of God and we grow into those things. I came into the church and I really know that much about uh, the Bible when I first was awakened to a deeper faith in Jesus. But I got to know the Bible and I got to understand the themes and the truths and the realities of it. And I got to learn how to pray together and, and sing together and worship together from the heart. And it was, a, it was a transformative experience. So what he's saying here is start talking to one another. We begin to put the word of God into our own words and our own expressions. And we, we may come up with new expressions of these ancient truths. Uh, not new truths, but just different ways of maybe saying it. And um, we relate these to these with other believers. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom. Another way to say that is pursue Christ-centered, word-enriched in relationships. If you want to love it, 
in your marriage. Love it in your family. Love it in your friendship. Love it in this church. Then pursue Christ-centered, word-enriched relationships. That's why we're going through Rooted Together as life groups. And why I encourage you, if you're not in a life group, jump in, get involved. We build friendships. We build families. We build fellowship. We build community that bring Christ into every conversation. Not in an artificial, weird, kind of religious-sounding way, but in a natural way. We welcome Jesus into our daily lives. Come on in. Live in our house. Sit at our dinner table and let your word have the run of the house. There's lots of room for you, Lord Jesus. So the symbol is we live our lives with an open Bible wherever we go. We said this word is what matters in every situation of life. He says, teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. Um, Somebody said, we have enough youth in this world. How about a fountain of smart? Uh, we need more wisdom. We, we need, you can see that in our culture. We desperately need wisdom and we need it from the scriptures. Enough of everybody just sharing their own opinions and perspectives. What does Jesus have to say about this? What does God's word have to say about it? the word of Christ? Why isn't that more powerful. And I'm not talking about getting nitpicky or picking out secondary matters that don't matter. I'm talking about just ruling our lives, leading us and guiding us, not to become spiritual cops writing tickets to each other, out, out to each other, but just, hey, here's something God's taught me. Here's something that um, I see. And we're in close friendships in a life group. We can even admonish one another. The word there is to just warn each other. And it's not like, hey, you need to get your act together. That's not the tone. What it is, is you know, here, as you hear your friend, and maybe you sense, you know, they could use some wisdom in this situation. Maybe you say, you know, something I've learned, um, and maybe this is for you and maybe it's not, but something I've learned, and, and you share some truth. And it might be about forgiveness, or it might be about something God's teaching you about um, making good uh, moral choices, or it's about. Um, integrity or whatever it might be and you just share honestly from the heart and it's a biblical principle and you're not necessarily quoting scripture to people though you can't but it's just you're relating the truths of Jesus in your everyday life this just be a normal thing I'll tell you something you could do that would just revolutionize our church and that is when somebody says hey I'm going through a hard time and you say I'll pray for you that's fantastic. And you, you follow through and pray for them. But if you could just pause, and don't freak them out here, but you could just pause and say, can I pray for you right now for just a minute, for just a minute, and just put your hand, if it's appropriate, put your hand on their shoulder, and, um, and just pray for them for 10 seconds. If we could multiply those 10 seconds prayers by the dozens, by the hundreds, in our life groups, stop, and just right then and there, 10 seconds, oh Lord, I pray you'll give so much wisdom to Jenny. Oh, oh God, please just give um, Brandon this sense of peace in his life. Whatever it might be, it's just a 10 second prayer. I have never in my life ever had anyone turn that down and I say, could I pray for you? And you know what? A lot of times the reaction is they're deeply grateful, almost always, they're deeply grateful, they're encouraged, and sometimes they'll even 
you know, become very emotional because nobody has paused. It's so rare that you just bring the word of Christ when he says, pray without ceasing, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for Christ Jesus for you. That's what he wants for you, not you personally, yes, but all of us together for y'all. Pray unceasingly. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always. Let's make those sorts of themes and, and concepts just a part of our daily life. Instead of living just on Sunday, let's let Jesus invade all the areas every day, learning wisdom together from the word of Christ. And then he says, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Oh, excuse me, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. These are just songs that have spiritual uh, truths that are being conveyed. Um, and, and he says, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's something to get, there's something that comes about when the family of God gets together and we all sing songs together. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's like this culture that it, it brings us back to. We all know what we're talking about. I mean, in Iowa, you know, I show you this picture. You all know what this is about. Yeah, there it is. You all know. And you know where you are and you know what that's about and you know the tradition of it. Yep. You, you don't have to have explained. And when we come together as a family of God and we sing these songs of truth and we're talking about the blood of Christ or the cross or eternity or, uh, or healing or peace or whatever, we don't have to know every single meaning behind it, but the songs capture this realities that we believe. And as we sing them, there, there are anthems. Sometimes there are fight songs. This is how we fight our battles, by singing together. When, when God called uh, Jehoshaphat to go into battle and, and they were against a mighty force, you know what he said he wanted him to do? He goes, I want you to put the choir in front. Put them in front and I want them singing this song. And he gave them a song in their hearts to sing. That's how we fight our battles. Not with anger and hostility, but with the Spirit of God and the songs of God. Um, you know, the old um, Disney movie, Snow White. Remember the Seven Dwarfs? Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Da, 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 da. Hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. And they were cheerful and they were happy. What song are you singing in your heart? What's the song that's playing over and over in your heart? What tune is in your mind? And let that be a tune of the truth of Jesus. That's a greater song. Um, there's an old uh, song from a few years back and it said, The Voice of Truth. The voice of truth, there's all these other enemies, but the voice of truth teaches me in a different battle, a higher calling. The voice of truth, that's what we need to be singing about. You remember as kids maybe singing songs on the bus. We need more songs on the bus. That's why we gather together and those songs just, they come to us. And I encourage you to make them a part of not just Sunday morning, but all week long. I often, I got two go-to songs and I get in my car and I often just have those songs going. There's two of them. And I want you to have two or three or five or whatever, or just listen to it and let it invade your heart. And then we do it together because this is not an individual thing. It's, in, it's teaching and admonishing one another. One another. We learn together through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God 
Sing in your heart out. Have a song in your heart. You express heartfelt praise to God, and with music, you express joyful zeal and appreciation for God. You know, the great theologian Jonathan Edwards, perhaps the greatest American theologian, lived in the 1700s, and he said he was a very smart man. He goes, you know, I don't know why God invented music. I don't know why he created music. This is a paraphrase of Jonathan Edwards. He'd say it much more eloquently, but he said, I don't know why God created music, but the only thing I can figure is that there's something about music that just moves our affections, moves us, not just emotionally, but the things that we desire, the things that we long for, the things that we love. There's something about music. That's why we sing songs at, at sporting events. There's something that a song moves us in ways that nothing else can. And that's why he says, Scripture, singing to God. And then he ends with, thank, with gratitude in your hearts. When you begin to sing to God, the truth is you can hardly help but eventually becoming a thankful person. And especially if you're singing thanks to God of praise even when you don't feel like it. You know, I was reading this week in my own times um, with the Lord, Job. And you know, Job, the book of Job, he just gets wiped out. His whole family gets wiped out. He loses everything in one, in one day. All his belongings are gone. All of his 10 children are gone. It's just, a disaster. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't think Job thought about that. I just think it was his spontaneous reaction because he had so marinated his soul in the songs of the Lord that when he faced the greatest crisis of his life, his spontaneous reaction was to praise God, to give thanks to God. You want to love it here, wherever here is, in your marriage, your family, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your life group, in your church, this church, then let the songs of God define your spirit. And so that, you now Job had to go on and process all that sort of stuff and he had a lot of things he had to work through. But he, his spontaneous reaction is the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew that God was in control. He didn't understand it. But he still had a song in his heart. He was a thankful man. And what I would just say to you today, and to me today, is why would I waste my one and only life becoming a griper, a complainer, a downer person, just because my circumstances aren't what I want? I want to have a song in my heart. So no matter what, I can sing to God is that the kind of life you want? Is that your life would be so filled with the Spirit of God that no matter what, you would love it here because you have a song in your heart and you're not doing it alone. 
You're doing it with a bunch of other people that are singing that song together. That's why we come together. These are our anthems. These are our fight songs. This is how we do our battles. And under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, we focus on all that God has done for us, and we can't help but be thankful. Oh, a while back I was in the uh, DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles. I believe there are a few places on earth that where the full dysfunction of a fallen world has taken its toll. It is one of the worst spots on earth, in my opinion. I apologize if you work at the Department of Motor Vehicles, but you know, it's just, you know, it's just waiting and it's this and people are grumpy and so forth and so on. And you know what? Um, if there's a song in your heart, it can even take the drabest, worst place on earth and make it a cathedral. And especially if you got a brother or a sister in Christ with you. That's what we do together. And you can even say at the DMV, I love it here. I love it here. Because there's music in our hearts and gratitude in our lives and it's a life rich with joyful music and thankful words. This is how you want to live your life. By the way, I would just say this. If you'd like to have a devotion sent to you every um, a single day. We call it Every Day with Jesus. We write these, I write these, and it's sent to your inbox every single day. It's called Every Day with Jesus. Um, and maybe that's helping you let these words of Christ dwell in richly. All you got to do is send an email, just say, I want Every Day with Jesus. Sign up for that devotional. Yeah, and you just send it to this email, Pastor Quentin at valley.church. Pastor Quentin, Q U I N T I N at valley.church, and we'll send it to you and get you all set up. And you'll get it every single day. And there's thousands of people, uh, at least a thousand plus people that are on that every single day. I want to share with you a scripture song that we sang uh, at Valley Church often. Um, the goodness of God. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Because all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkness night, in darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. Because all my life you have been faithful. Oh, yes, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And then he goes on in the song, the writer goes on to song, just quoting David, Psalm 23, when David said, your goodness and mercy will follow after me, will chase after me all the days of my life. And the song we sing is, your goodness is running after, it's running after me, your goodness is running after, it's running after me with my life laid down. I surrender now. I give you everything, O oh Lord. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. When those kind of songs and that kind of wisdom become saturated in your soul, your, your life is transformed. And you can honestly say, I love it here, no matter where you are. Verse 17, 
Whatever you do, do in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you want to love it here, wherever here is, then we can and must make room for Christ every day by living life together in the way of Christ. So quickly, he says verse, uh, this in verse 17, do it all, do everything, everything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus means not walking around saying, in the name of Jesus, I do this. It's in the character of Jesus. It's in the reputation of Jesus. It's in the truths of Jesus. It's everything that Jesus is about. It's the Jesus way of life. It's the way of Christ. Do everything in the way of Christ. So this isn't some mystical weird thing. It isn't about living in a convent or in a monastery. It's about real life. Do your real life in the Jesus way. So talking on the phone, raising your kids, driving in traffic, watching a football game, going to work, making money, shopping for clothes, meeting a stranger, interacting with a friend, having a disagreement, writing a check, walking around your neighborhood, whatever it is, do it in the Jesus way. Think of this sign like a, a, um, a road sign that's just yield. And every time you come to some situation in life, you're just yielding to the Jesus way. It's like, not, not my way, Jesus way. That's all we're doing here. We're going to always go Jesus' way, the way of Christ. You're going to come all sorts of forks in the road today and tomorrow. Conversations, situations at work, things at church, things in your family, whatever. Do it in the Jesus' way. Yield to the way of Jesus. That's what we're saying. And we do it together, not in isolation, not all by ourselves, but we're walking on this pathway together. We're all in this together. We're on this road together. And last thought, Proud to get to, I love it here. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ, which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful, he says. Be thankful. And then let the word of Christ, the next verse, uh, dwell richly among you. And then he says, with gratitude in your hearts. You getting the theme here? Be thankful, gratitude in your hearts. Then verse 17, and whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God. Here's the last principle. Celebrate Thanksgiving together for the goodness of Christ. So the picture here, the symbol here is the Thanksgiving dinner. We just have Thanksgiving dinner. And you sit around the table and you say, what are we thankful for? Let's give thanks to God in everything. And you find things that you're, thank you're thankful for, the goodness of Christ. If you mix in lots of thanksgiving, not just on Thanksgiving, but every day, for Christians, every day is Thanksgiving Day. In the church, every day is Thanksgiving holiday. In your family, in your marriage, in your friendships, even at workplace, every day is Thanksgiving. You're just gonna live that way. You're tired of living the other way. You wanna live and love it here, then become a thankful person giving thanks, be thankful, gratitude in your hearts to God, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Make room for Christ in all these areas of your life and mix in lots of thanksgiving. That's how you're going to love it here. You know, this old painting is uh, Jesus knocking on the door. And everybody's seen this, Jesus knocking on the door. And what I want to tell you is that this is a great picture in, it's from the book of Revelation, of course, and it's been applied in a variety of ways. But what I'd like to say to you is that, you know, every day in your home, every day at this church, every day in your situation, 
Jesus is knocking. And he says, am I welcome here? Will you make room for me in that situation? Can I come in? Will you make room for me? And the amazing promise of Jesus, when we open that door and make room for him, he comes in, he says, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to dine with you. We're going to have amazing communion and you're going to see me transform your heart, your family, your friendships, your relationships, and the church. It's going to be amazing. And we do it together. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to just invite you and your son to have full run of the house, making room for Jesus in all these areas. I think you touched at least with part of this message, something in somebody's life as they listen to it through your word. And I pray that they would take the takeaway from whatever it is for them and apply it every day, continuing to do so. And just like last week we said, the question is, what am I gonna wear today? The question for, for the days moving forward is, will I make room for Jesus Christ? And I ask all this in your name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you all, and I love you.